0: Hello and welcome to Vision of Zion. I'm Craig Perry. With me is my special guest, Sean White. How are you doing, Sean?
1: Good. Thank you for having me tonight, Craig.
0: Well, today we are going to take a little break from our going through the book of Isaiah. We did mention on the last podcast or rather I did The next one we'd cover would be Isaiah chapter 28. However, we did that quite a while ago, and so I misspoke. It's already up. But if you want to see episode 29, that'll be the next one that we're doing after our Isaiah 29, after this podcast. (laughs) So this is episode uh, 70, and then 71 is going to be Isaiah chapter 29, which is a very big one. And I'll I'll be honest with you, I had prepared tonight to discuss Isaiah chapter 29. I actually prepared, Sean, for this one <laughs> instead of letting you carry the whole load. Uh, but um, because there are a couple more issues that you're trying to work out, so we're gonna postpone that until our, our next opportunity, hopefully later on this week.
1: But yes. uh
0: tonight we have a special treat because we're gonna talk about a well-known I'm going to say somewhat controversial uh, prophecy, alleged prophecy. I'm going to say it that way. The white horse prophecy. And Sean's going to, going to go through. I, I haven't seen his notes. This is my first time seeing his notes. But I am very familiar with this uh, prophecy or or what was written down by these two men and <clears throat> the background. I'm also aware of the church's position about this. Uh, and I understand their position. But the thing about this prophecy is that it is so it it has been around for a long long time and many of the elements that are in there were not happening at the time it was given and it has in my opinion withstood the test of time it deserves our attention and i'm sure sean will agree with that which is why we're doing this tonight right sean
1: yes um I originally thought when I started on this that I could do this in about two days. Now we're I'm four weeks later and just finishing it up. The material was so massive. But a lot of people have taken to trying to criticize the day and the hour and everything about it. But I'm going to take the standpoint of let's take the subject matter and see if we can verify that in Scripture or by other statements that Joseph Smith made to the validity of it or uh things that others have seen in vision and so forth so it'll be a a different standpoint
0: so a couple of comments which might be in your notes but uh there was a uh there's an author named ogden kraut he was a as i understand a fundamentalist Member of the uh, a fundamentalist church or Church of Jesus Christ, which is not the same as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But if you go to YouTube and look at his son's interviews about Ogden, who now has passed away, he's written a lot of different books. One of them was on the White Horse Prophecy. And I remember him saying, his son saying that in talks with or a talks or a talk with Hugh Nibley, who was a member in good standing that Ogden took upon himself to cover topics that a lot of the church members were not willing to talk about. And he was grateful for it. And he told his son this, and the son repeated that. And I do feel that's true, that there's a lot of issues and interesting things that uh, Kraut uh, addressed in his, I don't know, 16, 17 books, maybe more books, Quite a, quite a list of books that he's done and and i i find the documentation to be rather compelling whether you agree or disagree is up to you uh maybe you should consider the white horse prophecy in, in some ways apocryphal the other part about this i want to mention sean which again might be in your notes is that the reason it's disfavored is because it by the church in my opinion is because it didn't come through official church channels uh it was not <clears throat> written by one of the brethren or recorded by one of the brethren that are well known who are who have a. Um, a lot of uh, credibility let's say bona fides for other church members but it appears that these are two men who overheard what he said compared notes wrote it down and whatever they couldn't agree on they they tossed it out that's what i generally remember but sean let's get into the specifics of your notes and and let's let's lay the foundation so people can you know at least prepare their minds to consider some of the issues that are in this uh, white horse prophecy
1: At the end of this uh, document, you will find references, which will include Ogden Crowd and a paper written by BYU that criticizes the white horse prophecy. So you'll be able to decide for yourself and look through the information to decide on your own what your opinion of this is. So if you want to go ahead.
0: Maybe as a teaser, Sean, I'm going to say that some of the things it says about the Chinese, just a little teaser here, is what really (laughs) I find to be. Uh, very compelling i've read this prophecy for over 30 years and to see the uh, chinese come into alignment with potentially with some of the prophecy about them in here is really uh very in my opinion very striking
1: exactly if you want to start reading there craig
0: in the red area
1: okay. uh no that's done Go go ahead with some questions have arisen
0: okay and feel free to interrupt me here some questions have arisen regarding the authenticity of the white horse prophecy because it was not documented at the time that it was given that was to have been given edwin rushton and theodore turley were witnesses to this prophecy and gave their testimony to its validity a few years before the death of edwin rushton in 1904 he was requested by several close friends To make a recorded and notarized statement regarding this prophecy his friends james h anderson acted as recorder and arnold g jockway was notary for the following account of this prophecy on or about the sixth day of may 1843 so let's just point out first of all this is 61 years after it was given so This is the kind of thing people object to. But if you look in the church history, you'll see a lot of things. There was quite a lag of 20, 30 years before people wrote things down. Nevertheless, uh, on that date, a grand review of the Nauvoo Legion was held in Nauvoo. The prophet Joseph Smith complimented them for their good discipline and evolutions performed. The weather being hot, he he called for a glass of water. With a glass of water in his hand, he said, I drink to you a toast to the overthrow of the mobocrats. close quote. The next morning, a man who had heard the prophet give the toast returned to visit the mansion of the prophet. If you've been to the mansion, it's not much of a mansion, but by those standards of the day, it was very, very nicely done. (laughs) Anyway, and so abused him with bad language that the man was ordered out by the prophet. It was while the two were out, that my attention was attracted to them, and hearing the man speaking in a loud tone of voice, I went toward them, the man finally leaving. There were present the Prophet Joseph Smith, Theodore Turley, and myself. The Prophet began talking to us of the mobbings and drivings and persecutions we as a people have endured. But, he said, we will have worse things to see. Our persecutors will have all the mobbings they want. Don't wish them any harm, for when you see their sufferings, you will shed bitter tears for them. While this conversation was going on, we stood by his south wicket gate in a triangle. Turning to me, he said, I want to tell you something. I will speak in a parable like unto John the Revelator. You will be in the Rocky Mountains. And you will be a great and mighty people established there, which I will call the white horse of peace and safety. When the prophet said, you will see it, I asked him, where will you be at that time? He said, I shall never go there. Your enemies will continue to follow you with persecutions and will make obnoxious laws against you in Congress to destroy the white horse. But you will have a friend to defend you to throw out the worst parts of the laws so they will not hurt much. You must continue to petition Congress all the time, but they will not give you your rights, but will govern you with strangers and commissioners. You will see the Constitution of the United States almost destroyed. It will hang by a thread, as it were, as the fine as fine as the finest silk fiber. At this point, the prophet's countenance be- Came sad. He said, I love the Constitution. It was made by the inspiration of God, and it will be preserved and saved by the efforts of the white horse and the red horse, who will combine in its defense. The white horse will raise an ensign to the tops of the mountains of peace and safety. The white horse will find the mountains full of minerals, and they will become very rich. You will see silver piled in the streets. You will see gold shoveled up like sand. Gold will be of little value, even in a mercantile capacity, for the people of the world will have something else to do in seeking for salvation. The time will come when the banks in every nation will will fail, and only two places will be safe where people can deposit their gold and treasures. These places will be the White Horse and England's vaults. A terrible revolution will take place in the land of America, such as has never been seen before, for the land will literally be left without a supreme government, and every species of wickedness will run rampant. Father will be against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. The most terrible scenes of murder and bloodshed and rapine that have ever been looked upon will take place. Peace will be taken from the earth, and there will be no peace only in the Rocky Mountains. This will cause many thousands of the honest and hard to gather there, not because they would be saints, but for safety, and because they would not take up the sword against their neighbor. You will be so numerous that you will be in danger of famine, but not for the want of seed time and harvest, but because of so many to be fed many will come with bundles under their arms to escape the calamities and there will be no escape except fleeing by fleeing to zion those that come to you will try to keep the law will try to keep the laws and be one with you for they will see your unity and the greatness of your organization the turkish empire will be one of the first powers to be disrupted for freedom must be given for the gospel to be preached In the Holy Land. The Lord took the best blood of the nations and planted them on the small islands now called England and Great Britain and gave them great power in the nations for a thousand years, and their power will continue with them, that they might keep the balance of power and keep Russia from usurping her power over all the world. England and France are now bitter enemies but they will be allied together and be united to keep Russia from conquering the world. The two popes, Greek and Catholic, will come together and be united. The Protestant religions do not know how much they are indebted to Henry VIII for throwing off the pope's bull and establishing the Protestant faith. He was the only monarch who could do so at the time, and he did it because his nation, England, was at his back to sustain him. One of the peculiar features of England is the established red coat, a uniform making so remarkable a, sh- a mark to shoot at, and yet they have conquered wherever they have gone. The reason for this will be known by them someday. The lion and the unicorn of Israel is their ensign. The wisdom and statesmanship of England comes from having so much of the blood of Israel in the nation. While the terrible revolution of which I've spoken has been going on, England will be neutral until it becomes so inhuman that she will interfere, stop the shedding of blood. England and France will unite together to make peace, not to subdue the nations. They will find the nations so broken up and so many claiming government to till there will be no responsible government. Then it will appear to the other nations as though England had taken possession of the country. The black horse will flee to the invaders and will join with them. For they have fear of becoming slaves again, knowing England did not believe in slavery. Fleeing to them, they believe, would make them safe. Armed with British bayonets, the doings of the black horse will be terrible. Here the prophet said he could not bear to look on the scene as shown him in vision and asked the Lord to close the scene. Continuing, he said, During this time the great white horse will have gathered strength, sending out elders to gather the honest in heart among the pale horse or people of the United States to stand by the Constitution of the United States as it was given by inspiration of God. In these days, God will set up a kingdom never to be thrown down for other kingdoms to come unto. And these kingdoms that will not let the gospel be preached will be humbled until they will. England, Germany, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, Switzerland, Holland, and Belgium have a considerable amount of the blood of Israel among their people which must be gathered. These nations will submit to the kingdom of God. England will be the last of these kingdoms to surrender. But when she does, she will do it as a whole in comparison as she threw off the Catholic power. The nobility know know that the gospel is true, but it has not enough pomp and grandeur and influence for them to embrace it. They are proud and will not acknowledge the kingdom of God or come unto it until they see the power which it will have. Peace and safety in the Rocky Mountains will, protect, will be protected by a corded band of the white horse and the red horse. The coming of the Messiah among this people will be so natural that only those who see him will know that he has come. But he will come and give his laws unto Zion and minister unto his people. This will not be his coming in the clouds of heaven to take vengeance on the wicked of the world. The temple in Jackson County will will be built in this generation. The saints will think there is not time enough to build it, but with the help you will receive, you can put up a great temple quickly. They will have all the gold, silver, and precious stones, for these things only will be used for the beautifying of the temple. All the skilled mechanics you want, and the ten tribes of Israel will help you build it. When you see this land bound with iron, you may look toward Jackson County. At this point, he made a pause and looking up as though the vision was still in view, he said, there is a land beyond the Rocky Mountains that will be invaded by the heathen Chinese unless great care and protection are given. Where there is no law, there is no condemnation and this will apply to them, meaning the heathen nations. Power will be given the white horse to rebuke Nations afar of off, and they will be one with the white horse. But when the law goes forth, they will obey, for the law will go forth from Zion. The last great struggle Zion will have to contend with will be when the whole of the Americans, or mean, that's of the Americas, will be made the Zion of our God. Those opposing will be called Gog and Magog, some of the nations of the world led by Russians are and their power will be great. But all the opposition will be overcome, and then this land will be the Zion of our
1: God. This was taken from the reference link below. uh, that You can look up there from BYU Studies. And now in the review of this, I will start out. I want to tell you something. I will speak in a parable likened to John the Revelator. Here we see that Joseph Smith using metaphorical terms as he describes the future that he sees, likened to what John had done. I shall never go there. Joseph Smith was killed in Carthage, Illinois, June twenty seventh, 1844. Two years later, Brigham Young led one-third of the saints to Utah in the Rocky Mountains. Now this is interesting, only that one-third of the Israelites had left Egypt with Moses to go to the Promised Land. And so I think we ought to pay attention to these parallels. (laughs) You will be in the Rocky Mountains, and you will be a great and mighty people established there, which I will call the White Horse of peace and safety. Here the White Horse represents the elders of Israel or the Church of Jesus Christ.
0: Let me just interrupt here and say that um, in the release in 2016, I believe, of the administrative record which is part of the joseph smith papers they finally released after many years of not being available a three volume set of the council of 50 meetings and it's pretty clear from that record at least when joseph was meeting in private with this council that they were discussing different places to leave and at that time they were considering Uh, Texas, they were considering Oregon, and I believe the Rocky Mountains. So, you know, with the benefit of time, it could be that uh, either these these men were told about the Rocky Mountains specifically, or it turned out to be the Rocky Mountains. But certainly there was uh, a lot of preparation in the event Joseph lost the presidential race that they could they were preparing to leave nauvoo because of the uh control being exerted over the saints i won't go into the reasons why they were prompted to do this it wasn't the persecution but that's ultimately what drove them out of out of illinois but uh just a little footnote that they were discussing other places with the council of 50 in their minutes okay
1: yes your enemies will continue to follow you with persecutions and will make obnoxious laws against you in Congress to destroy the white horse, but you will have a friend to defend you and throw out the worst part of the laws so they will not hurt you much. You must continue to petition Congress all the time, but they will not give you your rights but will govern you as strangers and commissioners. Now there are many examples of this in the past in Brigham Young's day but we will continue to see men standing for religious liberty yet in the future. We can see many trials ahead of us here. Now, shortly after the Saints arrived in the Rocky Mountain region, region, the government set out a massive army to pull down the Mormons. However, when some of the Mormons in the East learned of the plot, Smoot, Rockwell, and Stoddard traveled 513 miles in five days, from Fort Laramie to bring the news to Governor Brigham Young, the armed petition didn't accomplish what they had set out to do, but it proved to be a blessing in disguise for the Saints. Later, when the army was disbanded in Utah, millions of dollars in goods were sold to the Mormons for less than their three percent of their actual costs. Can I, I'd I, like I to make, here. yeah,
0: um, a few a few other details that I'm aware of. Uh, the Mormons, and I, I understand that this could be, like you said, things happen in the past, we'll still have friends in the future, no doubt about it. There's another man, a very important man named Thomas Cain. He was the son of an Eastern, you know, I don't remember which state in the East, but he was the son of a judge who had a lot of influence and sway in that day. And he was very uh, amenable to the, well, I'm just going to call them the Mormons because that's what they were called back then. And he did two things that are significant in this discussion. Number one, he was the person who arranged for safe passage of the saints through the uh, U.S. territory as they encamped en route to what became, you know, the Salt Lake, the Great Salt Lake. He was the one because they were camping on uh, federal land. They needed permission. Thomas Kane arranged for that something else that happened is this uh false report that the mormons were in a quote state of rebellion in in the uh in this territory that they had acquired from the uh mexican government under the Tr- treaty of guadalupe in 1847 uh johnson's army uh and and albert city johnson was i think that's his first name who became a very famous general during the civil war he was a Southern. States General. He was sent to you know quell this rebellion that was supposedly going on in Utah, some call it the Utah War. Thomas Kane, because he was such a friend of the Mormons, he took a boat. remember they didn't have the Panama Canal back then, took a boat from the East Coast, sailed around down South America, came up. I think he arrived. I'm not sure, but I think it was like San Bernardino area got on horse, and rode to go meet with Brigham Young. From there, he went and met with these people in Wyoming who were waiting to come in and attack the Mormons and put down this rebellion. And he brokered the peace between Brigham Young and the government. And and the deal that they reached was that, as it says here, they would be governed by strangers and commissioners. Um, They appointed, instead of Uh, Brigham Young continuing on as a territorial governor, they put another man from the east in place, and Johnson's army went and camped outside of uh, the Great Salt Lake. But Thomas Kane was a very important friend. We talked about Alexander Donovan, who prevented Joseph from being uh, assassinated. But Thomas Kane was another friend. And to go further with this story, just a couple more interesting notes. When Brigham Young when he died, he put Thomas Kane in charge of his estate. Thomas Kane came to Utah and visited the Mormons when they had settled in Utah, and uh, brought his wife with him. And that's the man Brigham Young chose to be the, I guess, the uh, trustee, the trustor, the trustee uh, of his estate. And a statute is was was placed in. The Utah capital of Thomas Kane. And when it was dedicated, David McKay said that the church never had a greater friend uh, outside the church than Thomas Kane. And of course, down here in southern Utah, we have not only Washington County, we have Kane County, K A N E. That county was named after Thomas Kane. So okay. I just wanted that's a lot, a kind of a big footnote, but I thought it was worth throwing in.
1: You know, I noticed as uh, Smoot, Rockwell, and Stoddard traveled 513 miles in five days. As you well know, even with your horses, that's almost impossible. You know, uh, you'd have to have set up something to rotate horses and everything because they just couldn't last that long. It's just amazing to think of the journey they did and how blessed they must be to relay that information so fast
0: over 100 miles a day i i don't know how you could do more than 20 or 30 that's that is remarkable
1: yeah even if you're leading another horse that other horse would be tired and there'd be no rest period so even we're going to just highlight some of these next points on february 16th 1882 another law was passed against the mormons called the Edmonds bill um, this would prohibit any polygamist from voting, holding public office, or public trust. It was also intended to overturn the political power in the territory. And then, five years later, in March 1887, it was called the Edmonds tucker Bill, which stated that a wife had to testify against her husband. Polygamists could be taken to jail without investigation or subpoena and compelled immediate witness to attend. All marriages were reported with the names of witnesses, the nature of the ceremony, and the name of the religious, of the office or religious dignitary performed the ceremony. Female suffrage was abolished. Anyone believing in plural marriage would be barred from voting and prohibited from teaching or advocating plural marriage. It was also dissolved that the Perpetual Immigration Company, which had been set up to assist Mormons in gathering to the territory it provided for, the discorporation of the Mormon Church, and all property over 50000 was as cheated to the federal government. I won't go into the details of this, but, you know, they ended up having to rent the temple back from the government, and there was so much property taken that was never gave back. There's a detailed account of it in Ogden Kraut's uh, reference there. And then we go on to Thomas Kane. And Craig gave us a wonderful overview of that that's a lot better than what this is. It's got the name wrong here. It
0: says Charles. And by the way, these notes that you're looking at, we're going to have this posted on the website. So even though we won't read all of them, it'll be there for your review.
1: Yes, this was a quote, even I keep the misspellings with it from the source that I got to be accurate. So, point five, we will see the Constitution of the United States almost destroyed. It will hang by a thread as if it were as a fine, as finest silk fiber. In DNC 10177, according to the laws and constitution of the people which I have suffered to be established, and should be maintained for the rights and protection of all flesh according to the just and holy principles. And for this purpose, I have established the constitution of this land by the hands of wise men whom I raised up unto this very purpose and redeemed the land by the shedding of blood. On DNC 109 54, have mercy, O Lord, upon all the nations of the earth, have mercy upon the rulers of our land. May those principles which were so honorably and notably defended, namely the constitution of our land, by our fathers, be established forever. I think this next scriptural reference to the second Esther, is often overlooked, but it gives us a key as to how important it was also. After the time of that kingdom, there shall arise great strings, and it shall stand in peril of falling. Nevertheless, it shall not then fall, but will be restored again to its beginning. And that is very paramount of other quotes that Joseph Smith gave at later times and told to others. Uh, Here in uh, the words of Joseph Smith on page 416, even this nation will be on the very verge of crumbling to pieces and tumbling to the ground, When the Constitution is upon the brink of its ruin, this people will be the staff upon which the nation shall lean, and they shall bear the Constitution away from the very verge of destruction. Um, Here in... uh, Joe Smith collection from an address given July 19th, 1840. This people will be the staff upon which the nation shall lean, and they shall bear the constitution away from the very verge of destruction. And then shall the Lord say, Go tell thy servants who are the strength of mine house, my young men, my middle-aged, etc., Come to the land of my vineyard and fight the battle of the Lord. Then the kings and queens shall come. Yea, the foreign saints shall come to fight for the land of my vineyard. For this thing shall be their safety. They will have no power to choose but to come. As a man fleeth from sudden destruction, I know these things by the visions of the Almighty. That is just so powerful to hear that and reiterate the doctrine covenants and these others there are so many quotes and you can read through the rest of these and there are even more uh in the link below there there were so many quotes it was hard to pick and choose which is the most powerful
0: let me add a couple things about this then uh people can read these quotes but i also want to say that uh there's not a more uh well-documented part of this prophecy among other writings in my opinion than the idea that our country is going to be on the brink of complete destruction hanging by a thread one account will say the elders of the church maybe it was in the one we just read will be called upon to save it uh but if you go read uh one or more uh talks by ezra taft benson he says the same thing so joseph smith said it other places ezra tab benson has said it many people have picked up this same theme at the very work at the very least it is an oral tradition but thank you for those great finds on joseph smith saying it flat out but this is a very well established notion that
1: uh we're going to be in peril and it's uh reiterated you know in scriptures to and that's what I love is having that other witness in Scripture. Love it. Going on to point six here, I love the Constitution. It was made by the inspiration of God, and it will be preserved and saved by the efforts of the White Horse and the Red Horse, who will combine in its defense. Now, the White Horse represents the elders of Israel, who's those who recognize and follow the servant, and the Red Horse represents England. The people, and going back to the quote that we did before, this people will be the staff upon which the nation shall lean, and they shall bear the constitution away from the very verge of destruction. Then shall the Lord say, Go tell my servants, who are of the strength of mine house, my young men, my middle-aged, to come to the land of my vineyard and fight the battle of the Lord. Then the kings and queens shall come, yea, the foreign saints... And reiterate that the foreign states shall come to fight for the land of my vineyard, for this thing shall be their safety. And they will have no power to choose, but will come as a man fleeth from a sudden destruction. I know these things by the visions of the Almighty. So here we have a key of the white horse and the red horse of America and uh, England.
0: Can I make a couple of comments there? Yeah. Um, okay. First of all, is that same language? Can you scroll up just a little bit? We'll call it, By it. the strength of my house. Uh, that is right in there in two places. Go read the parable of the um, of the vineyard at, regarding the redemption of Zion in DNC 101. There's a beautiful parable there, and then go look at the additional commentary on that parable in DNC 103. Those two, in that exact language, the strength of my house uh, is where the servant is told to gather after the enemy is broken in and has usurped the fruit of the vineyard uh, after the tower was neglected, that were supposed to be built. Uh, and then if you want to look also, I just want to read DNC 10180. and for this purpose, have I established the constitution of this land by the hands of wise men whom i raised up under this very purpose and redeemed the land by the shedding of
1: blood so paramount i just feel it vibrated in our bones to me the white horse will raise an enzyme on the tops of the mountains of peace and safety now we've discussed this in isaiah and brought this up several times Let's go to Isaiah five twenty six. He raises an ensign to distant nations and summons them from beyond the horizon. Forthwith they come swiftly and speedily. God announces, here is my ensign, the servant, that will prepare the way for the Savior to come. The servant invites those of the world that want to live like Christ's disciples and come to the promised land. They rush to dwell there as righteous communities a haven from the tribulation of the world
0: so a couple of things there which i really like uh, sean is that it's the way that zion conquers and survives this tribulation is not through war right the emphasis is on they are the ones that are establishing peace we look at the example right. of enoch and moses the book of moses and the pearl of great price I believe it's chapter 7, but it might be chapter 6, when uh, the Lord gives him so much power that the enemies are afraid. And there are parallel accounts that when a Zion is established in the center of this country, that people will, as you re- we read, will want to gather, even if they don't want to join the white horse or join the church, they want the rules, safety, protection that that society provides. And the power is in you know, righteousness. And in D&C 103 and other places, it says the Lord will fight our battles. Nibley, Hugh Nibley points out that in the Book of Mormon, when you see wars going on, it's always after the Nephites have stumbled into wickedness and their pride cycle. They don't have to fight the Lamanites when they're righteous. They only have to fight them when the people become wicked and are on the brink of destruction. And then they repent. And then the Lord you know bolsters them up so when people are truly righteous in the way we're talking about the lord fights our battles it's a beautiful
1: thing you know even with um stripling warriors he helped them so much and none of them lost but we will have to stand at a certain point and uh defend but it won't be until the army of god becomes strong which is stated in the doctrine covenants which i love so much Here in Doctrine and Covenants one thirteen verses 5 and 6, what is the root of Jesse spoken of in the 10th verse of the 11th chapter? Behold, thus saith the Lord, it is a descendant of Jesse as well as of Joseph, whom rightly belongs the priesthood and the keys of the kingdom for an ensign and for the gathering of my people in the last days. We're reiterating back to Isaiah that is talking, and he does some of the best job of describing the servant that prepares the way for the Savior to return. We can go to Isaiah 11, verse 11 through 12, and this is coming from the Dead Sea Scrolls. It will happen in that day that the Lord will set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant that is left of his people. From Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for nations. He will assemble the outcast of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. By the way, it's it's interesting.
0: We don't have time right now, and I don't remember. But these countries that covered some of the geography modern today. Hathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, they're all part of uh, other countries today that we can look up and learn more about.
1: Yes, and uh, just in my conclusion, Heavenly Father will set up his hand to gather the remnant of his people. When he has set up a banner or enzyme for nations, this banner or enzyme is a servant, also known as in the Dead Sea Scrolls, as the Yahweh of armies setting up his banner, as heavenly fathers, his heavenly fathers' announcement to the world of who this individual is. He will then invite all to gather for for safety from the upcoming invasion of the King of Assyria. So I love that he's setting up a way for the righteous ahead of time, and that's just kind of the, the Lord's plan those that would hear and recognize his servant now in point eight the white horse will find the mountains full of minerals and they will become very rich you will see silver piled in the streets and you will see gold shoveled up like sand gold will be of little value even in the mercantile capacity for the people of the world will have something else to do in seeking for salvation the time will come when the banks of every nation will fail. Only two places will be safe where the people can deposit their gold and treasures. These places will be the White Horse and England's vaults. I know this statement to be true from my walk with the Savior. I saw that this will come about after the Lord has announced to his servant that Isaiah describes to prepare the way for the coming of our Savior. As a servant sets up the foundation for the kingdom of God here on earth, he will establish a bank, and there will also be a bank in England that will enter into the millennium. And I know that it is going to be tricky between now and then, and we will have to pray, and we will have to dodge and weave as if it were a maze to save our funds that we have and the things that we have dedicated up unto the Lord for the building up of the kingdom of God. But it's beautiful to see this testimony here, um, that it will there will be two banks that will endure into the millennium. Gold and silver will also be hauled to New Jerusalem to adorn the temple. The gold used to adorn the temple of old Jerusalem will come from the treasures of King Solomon's temple, for it was extremely fine gold of ophir. And this is part of what I had seen in my walk with the Savior as these treasures and the fixtures and things so eloquently described in the Old Testament will be returned and placed in that temple. And what a, a special thing that will be to walk among those things built so long ago with such reverence for the Lord and purity to be in his presence, and they have been hid from the world for so long, and so many people have sought those treasures to find them and have them for themselves, but the Lord has seen fit to hide them.
0: So a couple of comments on this one is that we we notice from ancient cultures when uh, the Gentile nations uh, came over and began to, let's say, ransack the treasures of the uh, empires in this hemisphere the um that uh, the western hemisphere uh north america south america central america that you know the people and the way they regarded gold was at that time was much different than the spaniards let's say that were taking everything and hauling it all back to europe uh they didn't have this attachment like like the europeans did and this appears to point to a time, maybe after the banks are needed, when there's so much gold uh, that the only purpose of its use, and I've read this in other accounts of people with, like you, had a walk with the savior. They said it was used to adorn these buildings for the Lord and and the streets were paved with gold. It really served a kind of a, a, a function It was not, I don't see any evidence of people lusting after gold at the time that this stuff begins to be piled up everywhere.
1: You know, in the Book of Mormon, we see that when the people were righteous, that they found gold within this land quite readily and easily. But as wickedness came about and stuff that it was lost again. And so as we become more righteous people and seek the coming of our Savior, I think it will, Well, I know it will open up so
0: you know it's interesting whenever i go backpacking or hiking and i i find myself away from civilization for a few hours or a few days how meaningless you know gold and <laughs> silver become it's just like it is it's like what is the point of this credit card when i'm uh, on a hike near a lake it doesn't serve any purpose whatsoever you know i always think about that uh, and what really matters in those situations is you know food and the ability to survive and the skills you have
1: exactly in point nine a terrible revolution will take place in the land of america which has never been seen before for the land will literally be left without a supreme government and every species of wickedness will run rampant father will be against son and son against father mother against daughter and daughter against mother the most terrible scenes of murder and bloodshed and raping that have ever been looked upon will take place. Peace will be taken from the earth, and there will be no place, no peace, only in the Rocky Mountains. This will cause many thousands of the honest in heart to gather there, not because they would be saints, but for safety, because they would not take up the sword against their neighbor. You will be so numerous that you will be in danger of famine, but not for the want of seed time and harvest, but because so many to be fed. Many will come with bundles under their arms to escape the calamities, and there will be no escape except by fleeing to Zion. Those that come to you will try to keep the laws and be one with you, for they will see your unity and the greatness of your organization. This, uh, Before you
0: go into those explanations, I can see it's not quite there. Can you scroll up a little bit to the first part of this? Oh, yes. It says, uh without a supreme government. I'm going to read you real quickly from a website. This is a prophecy I've known about, again, for maybe 40 years here. This is the John Taylor's Last Days Vision from 1877. It's published in the Joseph Smith Foundation, which I believe is run by Andy Ehat who's a very well-known scholar he put together with lyndon cook the words of joseph smith and here's what it says in that uh revelation that he says he says um i imagine next he describes some bad scenes that i was in washington and fa- i found desolation there the white horse was empty or oh, the white house for white horse <laughs> 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 The White House was empty and the halls of Congress the same and everything in ruins. The people seem to have left the city and left it to care of itself. So there's other people. This is, you know, this is John Taylor talking about no supreme government there. The halls of Congress and the White House. No one's there.
1: You know, in my walk with the Savior, the first place I saw was Chicago and as we looked for the righteous left behind there and uh, the pure at heart, uh, we saw horrific scenes likened to what John Taylor saw. Uh, some of them I, hate, I don't even want to repeat. And then we went on to Boston and New York and other cities like that. But it exactly reflects what John Taylor had seen. want to go on and read that and look it up. Uh, To reiterate these points, Revelations chapter 6, verse 4, And there went out another horse that was red, and the power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. And we can see today that peace is being taken from the Lord, from the earth. It's paramount. In Doctrine and Covenants 1, verse 35, For I am no respecter of persons, and will that all men should know that the day speedily cometh, and the hour is not yet, but is nigh at hand, when peace shall be taken from the earth, and the devil shall have power over his own dominion. In Isaiah 19, verses 1-4 through of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the burden of Egypt, Behold, Yahweh rides on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt. The idols of Egypt will tremble at his presence, and the heart of Egypt will melt within it. I will stir up the Egyptians against the Egyptians, and they will fight every one against his brother, and every one against his neighbor, and city against city, and kingdom against kingdom, and the spirit of Egypt will fail within it. I will destroy its counsel. They will seek the idols the charmers, those who have familiar spirits, and the wizards. And I will give over the Egyptians into the land of a cruel lord. The hand of of a cruel lord. A fierce king will rule over them, says the Lord, Yahweh of armies. And so we know, if you've studied Isaiah with us, that Egypt is symbolic for America. And uh, we will succumb to this because we have forgotten our covenant as an ether of putting god first in all you know, that we do
0: you can see currently with the ukraine russia war and now the war that was declared by israel against gaza that the united states has played a critical role in the ability of these countries to to fight and of course, there's other funders on other sides of of the war. The Russians have their supporters. Gaza has their supporters. But um, if if America falls, um, you know, there's destruction is not far away for the rest of the world because we're propping everybody up with the ability to buy these these arms, military weapons to 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 continue with the battle. Without us. There is, I mean, well, I think we give uh, eight billion a year to Israel. I don't know how much yeah. we've given to uh, Ukraine. I think they're saying a hundred billion. We're just we're the main financiers that keep these things going. And if we're not there, assuming these are righteous causes, which <laughs> it's worth questioning, but without that, yeah. you know, these 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 conflicts, it would be very one-sided.
1: And we've reiterated this point D a couple of times, so we won't go over this. But in the conference report of 1923, Charles W. Nibley is quoted as saying, Brothers and sisters, let me say in closing that we have it of record that the prophet Joseph Smith said the time would come through, through secret organizations taking the law into their own hands. Not being governed by law or by due process of law, but becoming law unto themselves, when by those disintegrating activities, the Constitution of the United States would be so torn and rent asunder, and life and property and peace and security would be held of so little value that the Constitution, as it were, hung by a thread. Wow. And that, that's a heavy,
0: heavy prophecy that is so, in my opinion, Fits our day right now.
1: And we can see that the due process of law is being corrupted and we don't have that purity. I mean, you more than anybody can probably see that, Craig.
0: Well, you know, on my level, on a local level, I see the courts functioning quite well. You know, when I go to court on a criminal matter, I don't see a lot of issues. It's when you get into the federal level where the power to investigate a crime. They just don't, you know, They it's literally picking sides. It's almost as if someone in secret organizations is telling them which federal laws to enforce and which, federal, which people to apply them to. Uh, as one person said, they're just picking a target now and then finding the laws to prosecute. They're not looking at it from the point of view of, hey, the law was broken, let's prosecute. They're saying, how can I bring such and such a person down and the prosecution begins. Uh, very unfair. People call it a two-tiered system. In my world, with state court and the small stuff that I do, I don't, I don't see this. I see uh functioning pretty well. But on these big issues, where we have presidents and congressmen and senators, where we have organizations, we have power in these three-letter federal entities, um, we see that uh, there are Secret organizations, in my opinion, I mean, I think that's true, or at least through bad influence, they are extremely um, unfair and biased in how they apply the law and who they apply it against. I mean, to me, so I'll just give an example. To me, I'm just talking about the fair application of law. I'm not talking about whether it should or shouldn't be going on. But if you take Joseph Biden having documents in his garage. As a vice president, taking them home, he's not protected by any privilege to declassify documents sitting in his Corvette in his garage. Where's the prosecution? Where's the concern? Versus uh, Trump, who also has documents, and they're pursuing that vigorously when he has, arguably at least, um, the position that he can declassify. And we have seen this over and over again, uh, to the point that people are very distrustful of our institutions. And if anything, that leads to the downfall of our government. When we lose faith in our uh, executive branch, uh, especially now, uh, the power they wield to enforce or ignore a whole slate of laws, and have a different application. It's not it's not equal protection. It's unequal protection. So this is what I'm seeing on a highly political, federalized level that is affecting the faith and uh, confidence of the American people in our system of justice. It's very, very concerning to me.
1: I so appreciate you contributing because that's such a world far removed from me and uh, your insight is very valuable. Joseph Smith also spoke of this to Noah Packard in this letter, the LDS Church Archives letter from Noah Packard to Milton Muser, July 24th, 1896. My brother Noah Packard says that the heart of... He heard the prophet Joseph Smith say that the next generation The next great U.S. Civil War, after the War of the Rebellion, the Civil War of the 1860s between the North and South, would commence in a little town now called Chicago. But at that time, it would have grown to be a very large city. And another brother told me that the prophet said that the cause of the next great trouble of the United States would be the depreciation of currency of the United States. Wow. Um, that's, you know, we could see this 10 years ago, the appreciation of our currency, but today we see this all around on the news and uh, the chance of the US dollar collapsing against other currencies. um Man. So
0: we see that Joseph Smith made prophecies about the Civil War, but he also went above and beyond it. And this is an 1896 clarification right? Yeah. So this is post-Civil War. Uh, and of course, the Civil War did not lead to the destruction or the vacating of the White House and the halls of Congress and the things that are prophesied. The depreciation of the currency, my goodness, uh, this happening before our very eyes. Depreciation of currency is the same thing as inflation, when you rapidly inflate the money supply uh, so that um, more dollars are chasing the same amount of goods. Uh, it's it's the most indirect form of tax that there is. Uh, just just to go over this this quickly, I went to a uh, to a I'll never forget this um, lecture when I was at BYU. James D. Curl, as I recall his name, said there's only four ways the government can raise money. Federal government can raise money, okay, and they go from a very direct method to a very indirect method or a hidden method. And they are as follows, only four ways, Uh, personal income tax, corporate income tax, debt, and inflation. Those are the only four ways they can raise money. And what he was trying to show during the Reagan administration, yeah, that's how long ago I was in college. (laughs) What he tried to show is that under Reagan, there were uh, decreases in taxes, right? He didn't raise the corporate tax. There was no inflation. The only way he was able to raise more money was through debt. And our debt began to skyrocket under President Reagan, frankly. That's what happened. That's the record. And you might recall, it was a David Stockman or David Stockton, whatever his name was, was trying to tell people, look, this is just crazy what we're doing. But the point is, is if you get your income tax, it hurts the most and they like to shy away from that because it's so directly vis- vis- visible to everybody what's happening you're going to lose voters corporate tax people say we're well, it's going to tax these rest of corporations really what do you think <laughs> they do they pass it on to the consumer if if you know if my bill for my uh if 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 inflation goes up or if the dollar goes up so does my all my bills go up or when you tax a corporation like they're invoking a $20 an hour employment minimum payment for fast food workers in California, 20 bucks an hour. Oh, is McDonald's going to lose the money? No, the shareholders demand a return, the same return they've been getting. They're not gonna take a haircut. They're gonna increase the food prices or find another way to not use labor like machines that flip burgers, whatever they're going to do, and uh, they're going to blame the that the price increases on greedy corporations. The third way is debt; they just borrow money, and then inflation. They basically increase the money supply, and because they get the dollars first, they get to spend it, uh, chasing fewer goods or limited goods. They're the first in line; they spend the money, money supply becomes uh, uh, watered down and uh what happens well people suffer especially people on fixed incomes um the poor the retired uh those with met uh, with you know limited medical uh, benefits they're the people who suffer the most from these increases so the currency of the united states is the currency of the world that's what people use and as we've spent and increased the money supply Everybody across the globe is suffering from this. We're basically uh, able to diffuse the impact of inflation because we have the whole world subsidizing us. And that's why people can't afford food in other countries anymore because of what's going on. That's why they're setting up this uh, BRICS, we're trying to set up a BRICS, an alternative to the U.S. currency being the backbone of the world finance. so, in the book by Charles D. Evans on or his vision, his night vision, a uh, patriarch from Springville, Utah, he says that you know bankruptcy. Well, frankly, we've been in bankruptcy since the 1920s because we haven't raised as much money that we need to uh, sustain ourselves. So, as soon as you go in debt, you're 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 uh, you're bankrupt you have to borrow money to finance your government sorry to go on and on you got me way off track or got me off on that in tangent
1: and uh point 10 the turkish empire will become one of the first powers to be disrupted for freedom must be given for the gospel to be preached in the holy land well In Joseph Smith's day, as we can see from this map, the Turkish Empire, the Ottoman Empire encompassed all this area on the map, which includes where Jerusalem is today and all these other lands. And it has been disrupted and broken up into other countries. That was hard for me to see when I first started on this, was to understand what encompassed the Ottoman Empire or the Turkish Empire.
0: Well, this is a future thing because as far as I know the gospel is still not capable of being preached in Israel
1: yes you're right but these lands have been broken up so we're on a way our path track. there to do that in point 11 the Lord took the best blood of the nations and planted them in the small islands now called England and Great Britain and gave them power in the nations, thousand years, and their power will continue with them, that they might keep the balance of power and keep Russia from unser- being her power over all the world. England and France are now bitter enemies, but they will be allied together and be united to keep Russia from conquering the world. As I saw in my walk with the Savior, England and France will push back Russia after the midpoint of the seven years of tribulation, during the judgment period of the tribulation before this time, Russia will push into other neighboring countries and the United States will be divided up by Russia and China, and they will fight for each of their own lands as they invade America. And then at a point we push back the invaders with the army of God becoming strong. And, uh, then England steps in to stop and France from the bitter fighting that goes on. I, we make over this in another point here. And it w-
0: England and France have already become friends. They became friends through, uh, as I recall, World War One, uh, and then uh, you know, and then World War Two. They fought on the same side, whereas in the past they had not been that way.
1: And we can see them trying to keep Russia at bay right now in Ukraine and the things that are going on there. Yes. And it's so much chaos right now. It's hard to make sense of it all. I two
0: Guy say today, um, in a time of war, the first thing that goes is tr- the truth. It is very hard to follow <laughs> these things.
1: Yeah, it is. It, it, it's unbelievable. The two popes, Greek and Catholic, will come together and be united. The Protestant religions do not know how much they are indebted to King Henry the Eighth for throwing off the Pope's bull and establishing the Protestant faith. He was the only monarch who could do so at the time, and he didn't did it because this nation, England, was at his back to sustain him. As recent as December 4th, 2021, Pope Francis went to visit the Greek Catholics in hope of bringing the Eastern and Western churches closer together. Christianity split into the Roman, Catholic, and the Eastern Orthodox churches in 1054 in what is referred to as Great Schism. And for centuries, relations were rocky. Archbishop Betitudine, and I don't know how to even pronounce that. The second, Francis asked forgiveness in the name of the Roman Catholic Church for its part in historical wrongs that led to the breakup. You know, I've the, been this
0: the schizo. Oh, I'm sorry. I was, go ahead. I want to comment on that.
1: I've been studying this breakup and how it affected Russia and the people of Russia, especially lately. And uh, I had no idea, frankly, until I started studying this how deeply this changed uh, the world and the makeup of the world and how p- people viewed this it was sometime we'll ought to get into a discussion about this but go ahead Greg.
0: so i just mentioned that the um, by today's standards the breakup of these two major uh uh catholic branches uh was over some relatively small disputes i know one of the things was uh arguments over some of the wording of the nicene creed um but there is has been uh in general this ecumenical they call it ecumenical movement to try and bring reconciliation um so this prophecy if if this is accurate is saying that um they are going to resolve these issues and i'll just speak generally it just seems like there's a lot more Cooperation, reconciliation between all Christian churches, Catholic, Protestant, even our church. And it seems to be a, a spirit that is that is brooding. Uh, and in part, I believe it is coming, Sean, because all religions are under attack in our day and age, right? Uh yeah. secular humanism, uh, the drops in attendance in church. We're we're now almost forced. I describe it as probably too dramatic, but I describe it as there's a raft, and we're all clinging to the same raft. We find out <laughs> we kind of need one another because we know that the things that maybe um, we have in common are more important than things that divide us. And so we're going. To, I think we're going to continue as we see pressure from a secular world upon religion and religious belief, and the persecution and Uh, the pride of the world is going to uh, force some of these uh, concessions between religions and apparently it's going to be so significant that these these are going to these two are going to come together again which would be amazing
1: you know after we have large financial collapse the next thing will be to attack religious beliefs and religion and we will have to unite and put aside our differences and uh, altogether acknowledge Christ to survive and we will find out how much more like we are than we are different and we will grow through that and become more Christ like in all religions that way
0: so i was telling someone yesterday i think you were in a part of that conversation there's there's like three steps that is going on on a global scale fear through this what they call a polycrisis that was announced by the World Economic Forum polycrisis all these things going bad at once okay creating an amazing amount of fear what does that cause it causes fear and it causes division and finally when we're divided we're conquerable so um yeah this this is the this is the plan and religion is a real stumbling block for that global goal of unification under their power structure because religion is hard to pry people from their beliefs in God and what they firmly feel but that's why they have to attack it in my opinion
1: yeah it takes away the hope from the people right point 13 one of the peculiar features of England is the established red coat a uniform making it so remarkable a mark to shoot at, and yet they have conquered everywhere they have gone. The reason for this will be known by them someday. Now, just in my observations, the color red is perhaps the most dominant of the colors and indicates passion. It is also connected to Eve and to our Savior's robe at one point. And we won't go into this further. The lion and the unicorn of Israel is their design is their enzyme the wisdom and statesmanship of england comes from having so much of the blood of israel in the nation and here's some the emblem here on the screen and if you want to go in and study this more there's a link here but the lion of judah stands in the coat of arms of jerusalem joseph has the strength of a bull the horns of a wild ox The King James Bible translates ox as unicorn. His horns are Manasseh's thousands and Ephraim's ten thousands. With them, he gores the nations and pushes them to the ends of the earth, as spoken in Deuteronomy 33.17. Point 15. While the terrible revolution which I have spoken has been going on, England will be neutral until it becomes so inhuman that she will interfere to stop the shedding of blood. England and France will unite together to make peace, not to subdue the nations. They will find the nations so broken up and so many claiming government till there will be no responsible government. Then it will appear to the other nations as though England had taken possession of Of this country. During the time the United States is being invaded by Russia and China, England will remain neutral until the elders of Israel have risen up and are led by the servant Isaiah describes to take back the United States from the invaders. As England and France unite to stop China and Russia from killing so many Americans, it may appear to many that England has taken control of the United States. However, this is not the case. As we see in Isaiah and Zechariah, the servant will set up a new government to reign into the millennium. It will happen, as referenced in Isaiah 11.10, It will happen in that day that the nations will seek the root of Jesse, who stands as a banner of the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. Joseph Smith had inquired of the Lord to the identity of the root. Which we covered a little bit before, DNC 113 5. And the road of Jesse, spoken of in the 10th verse in the 11th chapter, Behold, thus saith the Lord, it is the descendant of Jesse as well as of Joseph, to whom rightly belongs the priesthood and the keys of the kingdom for an ensign and for the gathering of my people in the last days. Now, in Point 16. The black horse will flee to the invaders, and will join them, for they have fear of becoming slaves again, knowing that England did not believe in slavery. Fleeing to them, they believe would make them safe, armed with bayonets, and the doings of the black horse will be terrible. Here the prophet said he could not bear the look on the scene, as shown to him in the vision, and asked the Lord to close the scene. Now... The Black Horse represents the people of Africa, and in the future, the invaders are the king of Assyria's men. The people of the Black Horse are armed with the weapons that are supposed to go to the Ukrainians to fight Russia. We have recently seen this, and as Hamas is found with weapons that were meant for the Ukrainians, and they are fighting against Israel with U.S.-made weapons.
0: Also, all of the weapons left behind in Afghanistan, where are those going?
1: Exactly. So, um, there's a lot to think about here. During this time on, on Point 17, during this time, the great white horse will have gathered all, gathered strength, sending out elders to gather the honest and hard among the pale horse or the people of the United States to stand by the Constitution of the United States as it was given by the inspiration of God. Here I see the elders being sent out to gather the honest in heart that stand by the Constitution. These elders are none other than the 144,000 whom have received a sure witness of Christ and can testify with authenticity that Christ lives. In the scenes that I have seen of this gathering, um... It is so amazing because they, when they testify of the truth of things and they have their new scriptures in hand, boy, are they a power to be reckoned with. And the scenes from Matthew, uh, I believe it's 24, where they are read from the rooftops unfold in those scenes. Now in point 18, in these days God will set up a kingdom never to be thrown down, for other kingdoms to come unto. And these kingdoms that will not let the gospel be preached will be humbled until they will. England, Germany, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, Switzerland, Holland, and Belgium have a considerable amount of the blood of Israel among their people, which must be gathered. These nations will submit to the kingdom of God, and England will be the last of these kingdoms to surrender. But when she does, she will do so, As it as a whole, in comparison, as she threw off the Catholic power, the nobility know that the gospel is true, but is not enough pomp and grandeur and influence to influence them and to embrace it. They are proud and will not acknowledge the kingdom of God or come unto it until they see the power which it will have. You know, this is interesting. The nobility know that the gospel is true that they cannot bend and bow, but I see that they will, as we have spoken of it in Isaiah. In Isaiah 5.26, he raises an enzyme to distant nations and summons them from beyond the horizon, forthwith they come swiftly and speedily, which echoes what Joseph Smith has said here. It will happen in Isaiah 1111 11 12 it will happen in that day when the Lord will set up again His hand a second time to recover the remnant that is left of His people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel to gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And we have reiterated that, and this is where I think it created the basis of uh, Joseph's uh, knowledge in which the Lord could open up a vision to him and see these things. All, all 18, you inhabitants... Sorry. Go I- ahead. No, Go no, ahead. No,
0: probably the last point, then I'll... I'll, I'll
1: to in there. Isaiah 18.3, all you inhabitants of the world, you dwellers on the earth, when the banner is lifted up on the mountains, look... When the trumpet is blown, listen. Okay. Okay.
0: Can you scroll back up to the prophecy? Yeah. Just have a few comments to make. Uh, I could literally spend a big chunk of time, which I won't do today, talking about some of these concepts here. Uh, Obviously, the kingdom that God is going to set up is right out of Daniel chapter 2, when Daniel interprets the dream of king nebuchadnezzar after the lord revealed to him what the king saw and uh i would like my brothers and sisters in the church to really think about the usage of this word kingdom because this is and and you'll get this too if you just go spend some time and read the administrative record which is in the joseph Smith papers you can look it up online and look at the council of 50 notes the kingdom of god that is ta- being talked about here is referring to a replacement to the political structure that ensures the rights of all mankind, regardless of their religion, to live in peace and to have their freedom of uh, conscience protected and their civil rights preserved. Uh, the other part of this that's important is we know that, uh, well, I'm again, I'm not going to go into detail here, but The tribes of Ephraim were scattered throughout the globe, and they are the first of the house of Israel to be gathered in this dispensation, the dispensation of the fullness of times. And we see that when the missionaries of the church went abroad, we brought back thousands upon thousands of converts from northern Europe, and particularly England. And they served as a great strength in growing the church and, and establishing a foundation from which we could then go out and gather the rest of remnant Israel. As we hear President Nelson talk about today, the most important work today is the gathering of Israel. It's the remnants that are among the nations that, and including the 10 tribes that are going to literally come back and join us that is part of this movement, and what's fascinating is to see how these governments are going to respond, especially England. I'm not surprised, but it kind of reminds me of Roman times when, as the Roman Empire collapsed, how did they preserve the Roman Empire? Well, they they basically made uh, Catholicism the state religion, and then that preserved it for a much longer time period. So I, I I believe that these nations submit because they see the power that it has. It has a growing power. And this is what Joseph Smith and the other brethren were trying to do with the Council of 50, which if you read their minutes from their private meetings, it was not the same as the church. We'd like to say church and kingdom of God, fine, use that phrase how you want to. The spiritual kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God that Daniel was talking about was going to supplant and replace the kingdoms of the earth. It was a political, secular organization uh, based upon principles, obviously, of the Constitution. But that whole—it's a whole other topic to say how deep it was going to go. But just want to throw that out there.
1: Yeah, and without that political establishment where we have the safety of worshiping as we can, the Savior won't be able to come and teach the higher knowledge and the higher teachings that he has, and that's why it's so important that um, things be cleaned up.
0: You know, the reason that they set up the Council of 50, and the reason that Joseph Smith ran for President of the United States, was because he was sick and tired of minorities being persecuted, like his followers, the Mormons, Uh, he wanted to preserve it. And one of the things he said in the minutes of the Council 50 is that the one thing that he felt that was lacking in the Constitution or the Bill of Rights was government power to protect the rights of all citizens. In other words, they should have been the enforcer of the Bill of Rights, not the one usurping the power of the people under the Bill of Rights. And he said that was something that was missing in the Constitution that should have been there. Interesting
1: idea. Yeah, and I know that that will be set up more strongly in the future. Point 19, the peace and safety in the Rocky Mountains will be protected by a cordon band of the white horse and the rest horse cordon is not a word we often use a cordon means a line of people military posts or ships stationed around an area to enclose or guard it the white horse and the red horse represent the elders of Israel the house of joseph whose sons were ephraim and manasseh point number 20 the coming of the messiah among his this people will be so natural that only those who see him will know that he has come but he will come and give his laws unto Zion and will minister unto his people. This will not be his coming in the clouds of heaven to take vengeance upon the wicked of the world. I know this to be true. I saw in my walk with the Savior five different meetings at Adamondi Almond, each each meeting increasing in the number as the Savior instructed these last keepers of the vineyard Many people know that I have already seen the Savior walking among them in plain clothes. I testify that this is true. If we read and understand Isaiah and 2nd Esther, we see that the servant or the lion is empowered as the right hand of God to destroy the wicked and prepare the earth for the Savior's second coming. John the Baptist was a pre-runner at his first coming to prepare the way for his coming
0: just a few comments about that adam on is a place very hallowed for members of the church of jesus christ latter-day saints it's located in missouri i had a chance to go there sean's been there on more than one occasion it is the place where uh, we are told in the last days uh, michael or adam will appear with his posterity and uh receive keys and turn keys back over to Christ. So um can you scroll up a little bit there back where you were yeah. I'm sorry. So that's what Adam on Diamond is if you hear that term you can go down a little bit there. Sorry. I was like the points that you made. And uh this idea that the savior can walk among us without us knowing is should not take anybody by surprise. His own apostles did not recognize him when he visited with them and walked with them along the road. Their hearts burned within them, but they didn't recognize him. So he can uh, disguise himself. And the important point is that he's going to be actively involved in arranging for many of the events that have to take place in the last days. Uh, If you go look at Luke chapter one, it says that uh, the savior came and taught the apostles for 40 days after he was resurrected so this shouldn't surprise us uh, that the Lord is going to come in a very uh subtle way but as we point out here as the prophecy points out it's not the same as the day when he reveals himself to the whole world in clouds of glory and vengeance
1: Wendy Nelson our prophet's wife has commented that uh, he walks among us now and uh, she's referenced this which, is beautiful. Point number 21. The temple in Jackson County will be built in this generation. The saints will think there is not enough time to build it, but with the help you will receive, you will put up a great temple quickly, and they will have all the gold, silver, and precious stones for these things, only to be used for the beautifying of the temple, all the skilled mechanics you want, and the 10 tribes of Israel will help build it, When you see this land bound with iron, you will look toward Jackson County. I and others have seen the people of the city of Enoch and the lost 10 tribes return to help the Ephraimites and those from Manassas build the temple of New Jerusalem. In my walk with the Savior, I saw the people from the city of Enoch teach us how to use the power of the priesthood to create amazing stones and carve out amazing things from wood for the temple. I saw the people from the lost ten tribes hauling gold and silver from the Rocky Mountains on horse to the temple grounds for construction. Sources of iron for tools will be found in Missouri for the making tools and other necessary things. Concerning the Temple of Old Jerusalem, I saw the gold and silver pieces from Solomon's Temple return to adorn the temple there. And if I may go just into a little bit more detail. In one of the scenes of uh, building these stones, I saw the people from the city of Unique teaching us how to use our priesthood to create amazing stones with the commanding of heat and uh, pressure upon the piles of sand that we had put together and uh, it was truly amazing i saw them teach us the woodworkers how to do amazing carvings as they prayed over their pieces and uh, sought the will of that wood and the memory of that wood to create amazing astonishing things to adorn the temple too. i've
0: got a few comments about that first of all it makes you wonder Whether that ability to manipulate nature by asking it to do things did not somehow play into some of these amazing ruins we see in ancient cities where the stones fit together so perfectly that you can't put a knife or even a razor blade between the two stones. I mean, something's going on that we cannot replicate in our day and age with the level of tools they had available. So I think about that. Because what you described is described in other places, too. The second thing I want to point out was that in 3rd Nephi, chapter 21, verse 22 and 23, I want to read these two verses. And this basically is going to say that we, uh, the Gentile people who came from Gentile nations who were of the house of Israel or adopted in, we will have the privilege of assisting those who are responsible to build the temple who bring these incredible technologies that they have to do a rapid job of this. I'm going to read these two verses real quick, but if they will repent, they mean the Gentiles and hearken unto my words and harden not their hearts. I will establish my church among them. Check. And they shall come in under the covenant, meaning the covenant of the Lord made with the house of Israel and shall be numbered among this remnant of Jacob unto whom I have given this land for their inheritance. talking about lamanites and and the others next verse and they meaning the gentiles shall assist my people the remnant of jacob and also as many of the house of israel as shall come that they may build a city which shall be called the new jerusalem okay that's it
1: that's so beautiful and very very true point number 22 There is a land beyond the Rocky Mountains that will be invaded by the heathen Chinese, unless great care and protection are given. Where there is no law, there is no condemnation, and this will apply to them, the heathen nations. Power will be given to the white horse to rebuke the nations afar off, and they will be one with the white horse. But when the law goes forth, they will obey for the law will go forth from Zion. The last great struggle Zion will have to contend with will be when the whole of the Americas will be made the Zion of our God. Those opposing will be called Gog and Magog. Some of the nations of the world led by the Russians are, and their power will be great, but all the opposition will be overcome, and then this land will Will be the Zion of our God. I and others have seen and vision the Chinese invading the West Coast. As the Chinese proceed to wreak havoc to gain control of their half of the United States, they will have no regard for life. The scenes that I have been shown are much worse by the Chinese than by the Russians. The Russians still had a bit of a regard for life compared to the Chinese, which had none. Power will be given to the white horse refers to the rider of the white horse as spoken by John the Revelator in Revelation 6-2. And I saw and beheld a white horse, and he that sat upon him had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. This description of the one that rides the white horse matches the description of in Isaiah of the servant Yahweh of armies, has written in the Dead Sea Scrolls, or the lion described by Esdras in 2nd Esdras. He is given power as to God's right hand at a certain point in the tribulation to go forth and separate the righteous from the wicked and protect God's elect children as he prepares the earth for the Savior's coming to rule and reign for a thousand years. This is described in Second Ezra twelve thirty one, and the lion, whom thou sawest rising up out of the wood and roaring and speaking to the eagle and rebuking her for her unrighteousness with all the words which thou hast heard. This is the anointed one, the anointed which the highest hath kept for them, for their wickedness unto the end, and he shall reprove them and shall upbraid them with their cruelty as spoken by John the Revelator in Revelation 6-2. We've reviewed that. The description of the one that rides the white horse, I'm sorry, but that's been repeated in there. But we can look forward, and through our Isaiah podcast, we can see a better description of the servant, and to be able to look for him. The research sources that I used in doing this are listed below, and you can click on the links that will help you there in uh, discerning for yourself as to the truthfulness of these statements and how it affects your life.
0: All right, and have we reached the end?
1: That is the end. That was a long podcast.
0: (laughs) So the information written in in the White Horse Prophecy was ultimately recorded, transcribed, and notarized in 1904. Is that right? Yeah. And here we are reading about China. I don't know that China was considered a threat at that time. No. And so to see this come to fruition to me is one of the genuine uh, artifacts of this prophecy as this man recalled it. And we're seeing it come to fruition and there are other just go out and look uh there is no death by sarah manette through the windows of heaven by suzanne freeman i'm looking over my books here to try and jog my memory uh your experience and on and on and on there there's tons of stuff to show that america is a target uh if anyone can't see that they can take that america from the inside, from the outside coming in, you're missing the point. I mean, we have a destiny and we have played a role, unfortunately, not always a righteous role in the affairs of the world. And the chick, the chickens are gonna come home to roost here. And these, these warnings tell us about that and hopefully will help us to prepare for the future.
1: Um, I hope that through, sure, you know, many people have had near-death experiences and, as I read all their different accounts and things, they were meant for them, for themselves to prepare themselves for the coming and what they need to do and stuff, not for the whole people, not for the bulk of the people. And um, I know that every one of the listeners can have that type of experience to know more clarity of what they need to do and how they need to prepare with know these examples from scriptures and from prophets in their own lives and so i encourage you to pray
0: well thank you for uh bringing this prophecy to the attention of many i think the parallels in the scriptures just reinforce the accuracy of many of the points made in this in this and uh i know i have found uh uh what's the right word clarity about the future and what's unfolding from from this information so um, anything else you want to add sean
1: no thank you so much for okay. uh doing this
0: this has been a long podcast we hope you'll find it valuable and we will return soon with our next installment in the book of isaiah chapter 29 until then this has been vision of Zion. Thanks, Sean.
1: Thank you, Craig.